Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. All right. Hey, welcome, everybody. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast, and I'm Joel McCall. Glad you're here. We got a special treat for you today. On this podcast, we're going to be talking all about the power of finding the buyers first, specifically for wholesaling. But this applies to lease options, owner financing, subject twos, whatever kind of deals you're doing, especially cash deals, especially wholesaling deals. And I got a good friend, uh, Justin, who's going to be with us talking to, talking to us all about that. But I first want to tell you a couple of things. Number one, if you're listening to this podcast, thank you. I just wanted to say thank you. I wanted to say I appreciate you very much. Um, if you're listening to Spotify, um, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, wherever, there's a ton of them out there. I really appreciate it. And please subscribe to the show. You might even be watching us on YouTube right now. So subscribe to the channel, subscribe to the show. I would really, really appreciate it. We release three episodes a week. A lot of them are videos. Some of them are just audios. Some of it's me sharing my computer screen. But we're always coming up with really nice, cool, helpful things that are going to help you do more deals. My big goal of this podcast is to increase your cash flow and decrease your overwhelm. Let's keep it really simple. It doesn't need to be that complicated, right? So that's number one. Please subscribe to the podcast or subscribe to the channel. Cool. Number two is if you're watching this right now on YouTube or Facebook, I just want to say hello, give you a special shout out. We usually broadcast these live to YouTube and Facebook, and then we release them as an audio podcast uh, later. But if you're watching this right now on YouTube and Facebook, hello, and uh, please type in the comments down below just to say hi, tell us where you're from. And as we're having this podcast with Justin here talking about finding buyers, if you have any questions at all, please type them in the comments and I will bring them up here and give you a shout out and ask your question to our guest. All right. The final thing I want to announce is this podcast is brought to you by my new CRM called REI Simple. This is a CRM that I, you know, I've done a lot of research. I used to be known as Podio Joe, the guy kind of introduced Podio to the real estate investing space. And it's a great program, but it has a lot of shortcomings. And I've searched high and wide and far looking for a really good CRM for real estate investors that kind of keeps everything in one box. Your websites, your phone numbers, your faxing, your emailing, your uh, lists, your skip tracing, all of that. This replaces it all. So you don't need the websites. You don't need CallRail or Vumber. You don't need DocuSign anymore. It's like all there. And one of the things that this CRM does that I have not seen another CRM in the real estate space do, it lets you create contracts and documents inside the CRM. Click a button, it creates a contract. You can edit and modify the contract, et cetera. You can send it in an email and in the physical mail to the seller. It's an all-in-one real estate investing powerhouse and it's called REI Simple. So check it out. I think you're going to love it. In fact, I know you're going to love it. It's called REI Simple. Go check it out. Cool. All right. I'm going to bring on my guest. His name is Justin Van Ripper. Did I get that right, Justin? Uh, it's Riper, but it's close enough. Riper. <laughs> you know, Sorry. everybody always says Ripper, so it's fine. <laughs> Riper? Yes, forever. Okay. All right, yeah. good. Well, thanks for being on the show, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit about you and your background. Where are you from? Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm from St. Louis, right here in your your home market. Go Cardinals! Um, and I've, I've been a real estate investor full time for about ten years, and I've tried a lot of different strategies. You know, kind of over that period. 
And one that like always, you know, came back and stuck with me was wholesaling. And then, you know, I kept tweaking and tweaking. And I was like, why am I spending so much money advertising to sellers when there are, I literally get, you know, 10 deals that come across my day, my desk on a daily basis. And these are ones that have already been negotiated. You know, they're already good deals. So instead of wasting the time and money advertising to sellers, I said, you know, what if I just partner with, you know, these other wholesalers? And then I bring the buyer I and mean, everybody's happy. It's a win-win-win situation for everyone. So that's when I, I kind of, you know, I'm not the first person to ever invent, I guess, reverse wholesaling or buyer first wholesaling, but I, I kind of, you know, learned it on my own just through trial and error. And I found that, you know, I was making just as much money, but my overhead my expenses were drastically lower. So that a was a lot more money with a lot less work. I love that combination. Yes, it's huge. Right. Those two things to me are, are you know very important. That that's what I love about this strategy is versus traditional wholesaling, which I still think is a, an excellent strategy. And there's obviously been tons of people that have been very successful with it. But what I like specifically about this is it's it costs a lot less than traditional and I spend a lot less time on it as well. So freedom of time is is just as important as, you know, making a lot of money for me. How many of the masterminds did you come to, Justin? Those of you that don't know, about three or four years ago, I started a little mastermind for local wholesalers only in St. Louis. Um, Justin, you must have come to eight or 10 of them or more. Yeah, I came to quite a few, yeah, throughout the throughout a few year period. Yeah, yeah something like that. And the cool thing about these groups was we had a lot of guys doing deals in the group, you know, amongst each other. Maybe somebody wanted needed the money, somebody needed some buyers, somebody had some buyers and they're just looking for some deals. And we did a lot of, you know, in deals that in the midst of that group. It just kind of fizzled out for no no good reason. But I think we came into the summer and I might have lost my assistant who was kind of helping me with it. And I just got super busy. But anyway, I love this concept, Justin. There's a lot of guys in St. Louis that do wholesaling, um, but there's only like one or two or three guys that have taken what Justin's doing and made a really, really good, solid business out of it. So explain what it is. And then, well, first of all, what, what kind of, what does your team look like now? And what kind of volume do you guys do normally on a, on a monthly basis? So that's the great thing too with this. You know, you look at some of these, you know, other wholesaling companies, the traditional wholesalers, and they have, you know, massive teams. And they're also spending, you know, 60 hours a week, you know, at the office. I basically have an assistant and the assistant kind of takes care of contracts and, you know, closings, uh, schedules those. And in the process of hiring a couple more people, but for a while, it was literally just the two of us. And the fantastic thing about that was, I could literally just focus on the deals. So I could focus on getting those those buyers on board. So I would, you know, tell them what I could provide, which is also very key with all of this. Instead of, you know, just advertising to buyers and saying, hey, what are you looking for? I told them what I could provide. So I set the criteria of stuff that I knew I could provide in a decent qual you know, quantity, you know, to them. So I set that that expectation up front. So then anybody who was interested and said, you know, hey, that sounds good, you know, they would, you know, contact me and then I would, you know, kind of sell them on it and get them on board. So I did that and then I would go and, and you know, look uh, and find those deals, partner with the other investors. But then once I got a, you know, yes, once I got everything under contract, then it was a yes to a contract, then it was simply just sending it to my assistant and my assistant took it from there. 
So I literally only had to focus on talking to buyers and talking to sellers. And that was solely it. So I ended up uh, work about two hours a day because when you're only doing those two things, it's pretty sweet. (laughs) Nice. And about how many deals do you average of, you know, a month or every couple, three months, whatever? Yeah, so I, I'm actually in the process of scaling up right now, but I was just, you know, doing it pretty part time and doing, you know, four to five deals a month, but, you know, still making pretty good spreads, even with, you know, partnering with these other investors, but doing it, you know, working very minimally. Do you see why this is such an amazing strategy? Four to five deals a month working part time, a couple hours a day, three hours a day. I just got back from golfing this morning and I got beat up pretty bad. Physically and mentally, the game of golf will chew you out, chew you up and spit you out. But yeah, so I'm going to be working about three or four hours today, not doing any deals right now during, I'm just doing some podcasts during today. But that's the beautiful thing about this business if you get the right systems in place. And when you find the buyers first, you don't have to go find the deals necessarily, right? People bring their deals to you which is awesome. So are you doing just in St. Louis right now, Justin? Yeah, I am. That's another thing where I kind of want to expand. So something that I advertise, you know, to my buyers is I say, hey, we can provide properties that fit the 1% rule. For anybody who doesn't know what that means, it's it's if, you know, a property selling for 80,000 and it's got to rent for at least 800 or you can do it vice versa. If it's a property that is rented or it will rent after rehab for $800, then it will sell for, for 80,000. So that's kind of the 1%. Rent is 1% of, of what your purchase price is, essentially. Which St. Louis uh, isn't that hard to do, is it? It's not. No, not at all. But you know, there's a lot of other markets that are the same way. A lot of places in the Midwest, it's really not that hard to find these 1% properties. And investors, I, I work with a lot of out-of-state people, they just can't get those types of returns in their local market. They just don't exist. So they are more than happy to you know, come to a Midwest market where they can get much higher ROI. Their returns yeah. are drastically higher. Good. All right. So let's talk about how this whole process works. You find the buyers first, right? Find out, well, you're advertising, hey, we got 1% property rules. And that again is where the rent, one month's rent is 1% of the price of the home. So if it's an $80,000 home, the rent is 800 a month, right? And that would be 80,000 all in. That's after repairs, right? Correct. Yes. And then you find the buyers first. And then what do you do? You go out and you find the inventory. You find other wholesalers that have the properties, right? Yeah, that's exactly what I do. So I, I send out you know, the advertising. And like I said, something that I think is huge is instead of letting the buyer set their criteria, you tell them what you can provide what's easily accessible in your market. So whatever is accessible in your market, you know, you know that you can provide, you know, five or 10 of those properties pretty easily per month, then that's what you're advertising, you know, to them. And so you're saying, hey, this is what I can provide. You let them know all that. And then you let them reach out to you saying, hey, yes, I am interested in doing something like that. So then I have someone, you know, that, that calls in and, you know, we like right before this, I actually had a Zoom call, you know, with, with a, a gentleman from uh, California and we talked for, for a while and it sounds like we're probably going to end up doing quite a bit of business together. But so I, I send out the advertising, get the buyers interested. And then I go and if you're in any sort of remotely large market, if you go onto Facebook and you just simply search 
your city and then real estate investing. And you can do real estate investors. You know, you can do a lot of different variations of that. You know, if it's St. Louis, I could say St. Louis or I could do STL. But, you know, you want to find, you know, as many of those groups as you possibly can and get in, you know, those because there are going to be properties that are posted there constantly. You know, in our local market, there's tons. I mean, there's 10, 15 properties on a daily basis that people are posting in there. Some of these groups have like 10,000 investors. So that's a big way to go and find them. I've also, I've partnered with so many other wholesalers before that I can't even tell you how many times they're like, they just call me up and they're like, Hey, I've got this property. I haven't advertised it or anything, but I've got this property for sale. You got a buyer for it. I mean, it's, it's that simple. You know, you, you sell one property for someone, they're going to continue to come back because most wholesalers don't want to talk to, you know, a bunch of buyers. They don't want to spend the time advertising it. And then they've got to talk to 20 different buyers and give the lockbox combo, give information on the house. So if they know that they can sell it and they can still be happy with what they make, they're you know thrilled to just give it to me. So I have investors, you know, other wholesalers that, that reach out to me all the time when they have a deal. Right. Okay. So um, I got some questions in for you. The how do you find the buyers? What's your what's some of your favorite ways to find buyers? I really like direct mail. I like that. You know, for when you're advertising to sellers, the industry average is like 0.5% response rate. You know, I mean, obviously that's going to vary on a lot of factors, but that's the overall ind- industry average, 0.5%. When I advertise to buyers, I get usually more like 5% response rate. It's 10 times as high. So I like doing direct mail. So what I'll do is I'll send them a piece of, you know, direct mail saying, hey, so you pr- purchased this property here, you know, some other information on it, and I'll give them a number to call. And I'll say on there, you know, listen to this pre-recorded message and see if you're interested, if you think it's worth, you know, jumping on a phone call. So then I have, you know, within like call rail, I have a voicemail that's set up and I explain, you know, the whole thing to them. I say, you know, hey, I tell them who I am, the kinds of properties that we can provide, you know, so I leave, you know, a decent sized voicemail, but they can call it 24 seven. It says that right there on the postcard. There's no obligation. It's just here what I have to offer. So then they call and, you know, whether they leave a message or not, I'll, I'll usually call it back. But that's, uh, that's kind of my favorite way, you know, of, of doing it. I, I really like direct mail for, uh, for advertising to buyers. Are you advertising to buyers who are already buying in St. Louis or do you advertise they're buying in other markets? So one thing that I do, so there, there's a couple things that I've experimented with. Um, I've experimented with like markets, but right now what I've, for this campaign that I'm currently doing that over the next two weeks, I should be getting a lot of buyer calls on. But what I did is I focused solely on investors from California, only California, and that they purchased out of state. So they purchased somewhere else. So I went on, you know, to list source and I targeted just California buyers that have purchased anywhere else that was, you know, out of state. And I think I did it within, you know, the last couple months because obviously with everything that's going on right now, there's a lot of people that aren't buying anymore. So I, I did it for maybe only a month or something like that. People but that yeah, bought so, in California in another state in the last month? Yes. That that was not, you know, their it wasn't California. It could have been, you know, here in like St. Louis, but I, I made it basically anywhere else. Good, good. All right. Are you looking to see, did they buy like a similar rental property in the other market? So I've done it like that before. And I've done, you know, areas that are similar and also properties that are similar to what, what I can sell. The reason I adjusted it a little bit this time is I wanted to do more recent. I'm 
you know, concerned with the people that despite what's going on right now, you know, with COVID-19, that they still are, are purchasing right now. So I did broaden it a little bit, but I have certainly done that in the past. So if I know that they've purchased, you know, out of state in a market that's very similar to St. Louis and, you know, they, they purchase single family homes, then, you know, you can, you can definitely fine tune all that within list source and do it that way as well. I broadened it a little bit this time uh, solely because of, you know, the pandemic that's gone on. Yeah. I'm trying to log in right now as we're speaking into list source. One of the places I go to find my list of buyers who are buying, where do you like to go to get your lists? Yeah, list source. List source is the main one that I use. I, I really like that one. There's a couple other, uh, you know, kind of, I guess, minor resources that I've used, like my house deals as a place that I've found buyers from before. I think that's like $200 for like the entire year. And it has a list of, of you know, updated buyers constantly. That's one source. But yeah, uh, list sources. So my, my house deals? Yeah, myhousedeals.com. So you can actually buy lists from them. So it's not actually list. It's more, uh, so it has cash buyers. There's another category for like private lenders, but they're constantly adding, you know, people. So a buyer, you know, will come, you know, land on their website and they'll enter their information, you know, how much they're looking to spend, where they're looking to buy their contact info and stuff like that. So then that's available if you're a, you know, premium member on there. So I've gotten buyers through myhousedeals.com before too. I see here. So do they do they have to say they're interested in St. Louis then or Yeah, so most of them what it will say it will say St. Louis or nationwide. That's typically what most of them say. Okay. So I think I think most of them are pretty much nationwide buyers. Very cool. For some reason I'm having a hard time logging into ListSource today. Oh, there it is. It just sent me a password retrieval email. Something happened. All right. So but anyway, cool. Now you go and you find guys or investors that have purchased properties recently in another market or even here, but they're a recent active buyer. So, you know, they're okay with buying out of state properties, right? Yeah. Now um, you get them on the phone. What is your conversation like when you talk to them? What do you ask them? What are they asking you? Things like that. Yeah. So, you know, the great thing, and by the way, you nailed it right there when you said that they're already buying out of state. You don't have to sell them on this concept, yeah. right? They, they're already used to it. So it's great to, you know, focus on people who have already done this before. But, you know, with, with my voicemail that I leave, I try to, you know, weed out, I guess, as, as many people as possible and give them as much information as possible. So a lot of times, you know, they, they have a lot of, you know, they've got the, all the basic information, I guess, once they call in. So, the way that they typically go is, you know, for instance, this call that I had with a gentleman from California right before this was he wanted to know, you know, the A, B, C, D, F areas and what he could expect to get kind of in those areas. So it's a lot of, of that. They're concerned with, you know, particular areas uh, in that market and what they're like. So, you know, if it's a D neighborhood, what can you expect uh, purchase and rent wise? You know, what kind of like ROI can you get? And then, you know, how's the crime and, you know, stuff like that. So a lot of times it's answering, you know, questions like that, because typically they're, they're already interested in the, the whole concept. So then it's just, you know, kind of the details after that. Okay. You find out like how much, how many houses are looking for, what the requirements are. Do you, is there a specific type of house that you will not refer to them? Like, does it like have to have 
a certain minimum amount of work needed or, you know, not beyond five, 10 grand in repairs or something like that? Yeah, that, that's something. typically what I like to work with. You know, I usually like properties that are 15,000 or less. Um, rehab. But, if I ha- but if I have, you know, a buyer that says, you know, hey, if it's a good enough deal, I don't care, you know, and they're fine with it, you know, then that's obviously up to them. But yes, I typically try to stick to the, the smaller rehabs. They're less risky. You know, I, I want the investors, of course, to be successful for one, just for, for them. I, I mean, I, I brought them to this market. I want them to have success. But then, of course, from, you know, my standpoint, too, it's like, hey, if they're happy, they're going to continue to buy. So I, I want to do everything in my power to ensure they're successful. So I'll offer, you know, referrals as well to, you know, property management companies, contractors, you know, things of that nature as well. I wanted to ask you about that. You're not fixing any of these houses up. You're not buying them on your own. Okay. No. And and that's something that I'm very clear, uh, you know, from the start, I know that there's a lot of companies that do that. They kind of provide full service where, you know, they're managing them, they're, they're rehabbing them, they're managing them, they're doing everything. I didn't want to do that. You know, I'm all about uh, making things as easy as possible, making it as, as simple as I, I possibly can. And so I, I tell them, I say, hey, my job is to find properties that are going to fit this model for you. I'll be more than happy to, you know, give you referrals, you know, to, to people that I've worked with in the past, uh, you know, that have referred to me and everything. I, I will give those to you, but I don't, you know, do the rehab. I don't, you know, manage the rehab. I don't, you know, actually manage the properties afterwards. I don't do any of that. I'm, I'm simply here to provide the properties for you. And if I can provide a valuable resource for you, I'd be more than happy to help. But, you know, for me to be as, you know, as good at what I am, what I do as I am, I guess, is that, uh, you know, I need to be able to focus solely on that. Yeah. Okay. So then when you get a deal, do you present like, you know, and it's a new buyer, do you say, all right, here are three contractors, here's three different property management companies, here's three lenders that I recommend, you know, do you present to them like, here's one property manager or here's two or three? How do you do that? Yeah. And and that's a good point because, you know, if if you're just giving them one and for whatever reason, if things go south, it's it's a little different if you just offer, you know, three out there because you can tell them, hey, if you want to find one on your own, that's fine. But here are, you know, here's three of the best ones that I've worked with. And then you're giving them the choice. They're the ones that are picking and it kind of covers you a little bit more by doing that. Nice. Are you giving them, are you hooking them up with any local lenders that will lend on deals as well? Yeah. And in fact, when I kind of started this whole program, that's what I initially did. So I, I trained, I had this you know video on, on YouTube. It was just you know, a 15 minute PowerPoint presentation that I explained how you know, you could purchase properties with little or no money out of pocket. And essentially, you know, it involves, it's called the Burr strategy as well. So you're buying and rehabbing with hard money, and then you're getting it rented out, and then you're refinancing into long-term financing. So I, I taught people how to do that. And so I was working with those types of properties for a long time before I realized, man, it's a lot of headache working with all these the hard money lenders and making sure, you know, the buyer has applied and, you know, making sure you're getting all, you know, working with the contractors to get all the bids, working with the title company and the, the lender to make sure they're, you know, together. And it, it just was a lot more work. It was still very effective. I had a lot of buyers that loved it and I could still provide a good amount of inventory. It just took more work. But anyways, for that, going back to your question, uh, I, I did provide them, you know, 
uh, lender referrals. Uh, you still you do know, that today that. then? Uh, a little bit. Okay. Uh, I, I try to stay away from the lenders as, as much as possible. They just make the deals a little more complicated, but you know, I'll, I'll still do them because I mean, it's definitely worth it. I just, you know, prefer if you know, it's a cash buyer over financed. I remember um, back in the last recession in 08 and 09, I was talking to somebody that was doing a lot of deals back then. And they said one of their favorite things to do was just to go to the local banks and ask them, Hey, I got an $80,000 property here. Would you lend? I want to buy it as a ma- as a rental. Would you lend on the deal? And if they say yes, and normally it's the small local community banks, he would ask them, okay, what's your criteria? And they said, well, you have to have, you know, 750 score. You've got to have at least whatever, six months of reserves in the bank. And you got to put at least 25% down. He'd get a list of all the criteria. All right. Then when he would advertise the property, he would put in the in the thing, hey, financing is in place, ready to go. And he would list the minimum criteria of what you have to have. And I got a bank that will lend on this deal. And it was it worked great. I mean, he wholesaled a ton of properties because he brought it as, together as a package to the investors that were coming in. Like, yeah, you know, absolutely. Know. Absolutely. And that's uh, very similar to, you know, what, what I used to do too. I'd kind of advertise it that way too and say, you know, I, I have a lender that's, that's going to loan on this. And I love that because it's one of those things where the more value you provide, um, and especially the more value that you provide for your buyers, where it, it kills me that, with traditional wholesaling, they spend so much time, you know, working with sellers, you know, trying to find that one good deal. So on average, they're talking to 45 different sellers to get that one deal. But that that seller that they're working with, they're going to work with them one time. Whereas I'm building a relationship with a buyer and providing more value to them that I could work with 20 times or 30 times, opposed to just once with the sellers. But yeah, yeah I love that. I, I did something very similar, you know, kind of with the no money down. I, I said, you know, hey, there's it's pretty much financing in place. And I'm telling you that I would get calls and people would just be like, you know, all right, let's do it. I mean, it was that simple. And they'd be out of state and they never even came to see the property or anything. They don't even necessarily have to be no money down deals. It's just, you know, you have to put, you say in there in your marketing or whatever, when you're talking to them, you got to put 25% down. So you're, you know, they're expecting to put some money down on the property and you've got a good bank that will lend on those deals. Okay, cool. So what's your average profit on one of these deals that you do? Uh, it's about 10 to 15 on the ones, you know, that I'm, you know, kind of partnered with another investor. Now, so even with partnering, I'm, oh, I'm sorry. No, uh, no, that's, that's usually for me. So I will typically, if I can, I will mark up, you know, cause I want the other wholesaler, of course, to be happy, the other investor. So if I don't have to negotiate them down at all, if I look at the numbers and I say, Hey, they work, I will just simply, you know, mark mine on the top and give them, you know, what they're asking for. You know, sometimes just other investors get it, you know, it's just a numbers game. And sometimes, you know, they're just asking too much for what the numbers say it can work out. And I might have to negotiate a little bit with them, but I typically make just on the top of, you know, kind of what I have negotiated with them. That's typically how I do it as opposed to like a 50, 50 split. We had a deal one time that we lost and the buyer got real mad because the guy was advertising it on Zillow for 40,000, the wholesaler was. And then we were trying to sell it for 45, maybe five grand more than what. So the oh, the buyer, when he went to go research the property, he saw it on Zillow for five grand less than what we were selling it to him for. And he was real upset. And we realized, uh, you know, we could understand why maybe it was more than five grand. It might've been 10 grand or something, but we should have just clarified with him at the very beginning, you know, hey, this is what we do. And we're going to mark it up a little. It even met his criteria, right? It met his criteria, but he was still mad that he thought he were taking advantage of him. So how do you, do you have that conversation with your buyers or how do you talk about how, how you get paid? Does it make sense? 
Yeah, and I think that right there, what you just said is huge. Communication is, is very important and it's both with my end buyer and also the other wholesalers. So, you know, taking it from the beginning when I'm working with like the wholesaler and I see, you know, that they've got a deal, I, I tell them, you know, hey, I saw this deal that you posted. You know, I have a buyer that this should fit their numbers. You know, is it okay if I send it to them? And if, you know, they say yes, then what I typically do is I'll sign an option contract, you know, with the other wholesaler. So the option gives me the, you know, equitable interest in the property to be able to advertise it to my buyer to send it to them. And so the option contract, it's great because it there's no obligation for either party. There's specific verbiage in the one that I have that says if the other, you know, the other wholesaler, the owner, the seller, whoever it is, if they find a buyer before I do, then the option is just automatically terminated. You give an option agreement to the investor wholesaler. Yeah. Yep. So I, I give that. So I have that kind of equitable interest. And I tell them, you know, hey, if you find a buyer first, there is verbiage that's specifically in there that says that this contract is just voided. So it, it doesn't hurt you at all. The only thing it's doing is giving you access, you know, to my buyer, to my buyer's list. And then it, for me, if I if my buyer doesn't want it, it, it's just an option. So I can just let it, you know, fall through. So it, it doesn't hurt either party. But I'm very upfront, you know, with that, that other wholesaler, other investor that I'm not going to be the one purchasing it. I'm bringing a buyer to that. I believe that you should do that with, you know, everyone that you work with. And then I tell, you know, the buyer as well. I say, you know, the only way that I make money is I make money on the difference between kind of what I'm buying and selling it to you for. So they get it. And I I kind of go above and beyond for my buyers too. So they all love me. Any of the buyers that I work with, they, they absolutely love me. They don't care that I'm making money on it. It fits their criteria. I've, you know, been up front from the beginning and it works very well. So then how do you close the deal? When it comes time, you have you have the wholesaler as a contract with the seller and now you have an option contract with the wholesaler and you're bringing in a buyer. How does it all work at the closing? And, and so what I'll end up doing, by the way, too, uh, after my buyer says yes, then I'm either getting it under a standard contract or I'm doing you know, an assignment, one of those two. But it really does completely depend on the situation. Because sometimes I am working with, it's just another investor I know, but they actually own the property. So they're not wholesaling it. So it's a kind of different situation there. If it's another you know, investor, a lot of times what I'll tell them, I almost always double close if I can. Unless it's a very, very small fee, I almost always double close because even if my buyers, you know, tell me I don't care what you make on it, that first time they see, you know, twenty thousand dollar, you know, spread there. Then on the next date, they still are probably going to go through with it. But then in their head, on the next deal, they're going to be like, oh, I can negotiate this down by fifteen grand. So I, I double close as much as I possibly can, so and I'll tell the other. I'm sorry, ahead. you'll double close where you're buying it, or is the wholesaler investor buying it? So then, so if I have another wholesaler, we've done it before where there's two double closes. But what I typically tell the other wholesalers, hey, I'm in the same boat. Like, you know, I know what you're doing and I don't care. I truly actually don't care what you're making. So assign it to me. So that's what they'll do a lot of times. I know it's getting a little complicated with, you know, how all these work. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it does take some kind of getting used to, but. A lot of times I'll have the other wholesaler will sign their contract to me and then I'll double close from there. But I've done double close, double close before where the other wholesaler was also double closing. I was double closing and it still all worked out. Done, you know, assignment to assignment to close. There's a lot of different ways that you can structure these things. 
Uh, so that's also why it's important that you get a title company that's familiar with working with investors. And, and these know, are cash they, deals. They these are cash deals too. So it doesn't really matter. I mean, they're nine times out of 10 cash deals, right? Yeah. So it doesn't really matter with the whole seasoning and titling issues and all of that as much, right? Right. Um, yes. And so every deal is going to be a little different, right? Yeah, it, it truly is. Uh, sometimes, you know, if if the other, you know, wholesaler isn't making as much, I just say, hey, I'll sign, you know, a finder's fee agreement with you. Just get me on the contract with the original seller. You know, you can be out of it and I'll sign this finder's fee agreement that says, you know, I'm going to pay you five grand or, or something like that. So, yeah, it really does. I, I've structured deals so many different ways. I've been part of a couple where like five different people got paid on them. Um, so sometimes you got to get a little bit creative. Cool. But you try to stay in control of it, right? You try to stay in control of it and say, all right, listen, this is the way we should do it here. Um, and if, yeah. if the wholesaler has to step out of the way, you give them a finder's fee agreement, right? And you'll pay them after closing or something. Is that right? Yeah, you can actually even pay the finder's fee at closing. You can give that to the title company and they'll actually put it on the HUD and they'll they'll pay on that way. It's funny, uh, I've gotten paid like that a lot where um, I'll just give the, the title company an invoice. I'll actually give the title company an invoice yeah. and they'll pay me out of closing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, right. so it, you're right. I, I do. I try to, especially because I've had so much experience with doing kind of a lot of these creative ones where most investors haven't. So I just tell them like, hey, this is the best way to do it. Like, just trust me. You know, it's going to get done. But this is the best way that we can do this particular one. So yeah, it, it just, it really does depend on the, the that particular transaction. Okay. Do you need a real estate license to do this? Do you have yours? Do you recommend it? I do not. I've honestly gone back and forth. You know, I've, I've been in this industry for 10 years now and I, I went back and forth for a long time on, uh, you know, if I should get it or not. But no, I, I do not uh, have my license. I personally think, you know, as long as you have access to the things that you need, I think MLS access uh, is, is pretty crucial. And as long as you have, you know, some sort of MLS access, which you can get that through a real estate agent, they can set you up as their assistant. So you might have to do a little work for them, you know, to to make it, you know, as, as a, you know, kind of a trade, but you need to be set up like as their assistant, you can get MLS access. So if you don't have your license, that's one way that you can do it. MLS is huge for being able to, you know, run comps and whatnot. But yeah, no, I do not have my, my license. Could you, do you, um, could you get paid anything. the same if you had your license, do you think? Um, so I guess you could do it in the form of a commission. I mean, you could, you can still wholesale, like if you have your license. So I guess you could still do it the same way. You also could, if you're an agent and you're, you know, kind of wanting to do a similar strategy, you could also work up an agreement and say, "Hey, I'm going to make three thousand or five thousand per deal, you know, as a commission. We're just going to set that, you know, number with in there." With the buyers. Yeah, with the buyers, correct. And then, you yeah, get so you could commission from the seller in addition too. You could, right? Yeah. So, um, but you can, you definitely can, you know, still do it if you have your license. Um, you can. You know, do essentially the same thing, and it actually gives you that extra option of being able to uh, get a commission as opposed to you know making a spread, making an assignment fee. You can just do it as commission. When you when you send the deal to your buyer, do you put together any kind of report? There's a lot of tools out there that give some really amazing reports with cash flow projections and all of the uh, the, the metrics and the ratios, cash on cash return, ROI, yields, internal rate of return, things like that. Do you put together packages like that? and give them to 
your buyers? Um, and so I, I honestly don't go to that much um, trouble to put together a full packet. You know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I mean, it makes it look, you know, it's very professional the way that it's being presented. I do run, so like my ROI calculations that I do, I take 40% of the monthly rent as operating expenses when I calculate that. So if a property is, you know, rented for $800 a month, so you multiply 800 by 12, 9,600 to get your yearly amount, your yearly rent, and then I'll multiply that by 0.6. And so that gives the actual uh, net operating income or projected net operating income. So you're taking 40% there. And so if you divide that by your purchase plus your repair, the, the buyer's all-in cost, then you get that projected ROI. So I will do you know some, some brief calculations like that. So I typically, you know, provide them with the address, you know, the beds, baths, square footage, the price, the rehab, pictures, ROI projection. So I'll provide them with all of that, but I don't, you know, actually put it into any sort of like packet. Do you try not to commit to a rent or a rehab cost ROI numbers? Because does that ever come back to bite you if you say, hey, this property could rent for 800, they can't rent it for 750. Or you say the rehab is going to be 10, but it was really... 15 grand. Does that ever come back to you? Yeah. One time it did. This was kind of early in my career and the investor, the buyer came back and was like, you know, you have it as ROI or I might even use cap rate at the time. You had it at this certain percentage and that's not what it's, you know, produced. And so ever since then, once again, and this all comes back to like being very upfront. So, you know, I, I say projected. Now, if I know my buyer, which this happens a lot of times too, if I know who the buyer is and I know you know that they use this particular property manager, or this contractor, and they go out and they give the bid, then I'll go ahead and I can just give that number and be like, hey, this is from you know Christian. This is from you know your property manager, and obviously they can confirm that with them. But I may give that now. If I'm just you know estimating you know myself, then I will always you know put that. I'll say you know estimated ROI, estimated rent, estimated everything. And I tell them you know for like the rent, uh, you know I'll look at Zillow and I'll look at Rentometer. And I'll look at those two resources. So I'm actually running, you know, kind of rental comps. So I'm giving them as accurate a number as I think I can provide, but it's still just, you know, an estimate. So, so yeah, I, I, I do tell them that, that, you know, these numbers are estimates. Um, they're not hard, you know, figures. Have you heard of um, dealcheck.io? Dealcheck? Uh-uh. Oh, man, I love this tool. It's seven bucks a month and I don't get any commissions from it or sell it. You know, I'm just, I, I had the guy in my show um, a couple, three years ago and I uh, created the software. It's seven bucks a month. It's amazing. The, the quality of the reports that it puts together. And you, if you had the 1% rule, when you put the information in there and it imports the information in from Zillow or from the MLS or whatever, and you can say, calculate an offer based on the 1% rule, or it could be minimum cash flow 300 a month rule or ROI 10%. It'll spit back to you the numbers, but it gives really good, nice reports, projections, ratios, pictures, all of this good stuff. And I've thought about, man, that would be really cool. I've never used it to sell a deal to an investor, but it's an amazing tool that a lot of people could use to find good buyers, something to think about. 
Yeah, um, that's actually that's that's very cool, especially if you know you just kind of input the information, yeah, you know, you yeah, and then it just does like all that for you, and then it just gives you a uh, you know, and for seven bucks a month, that's nothing. <laughs> yeah, you can you got to just make sure you're letting your buyer know these are projections only, right? The other cool yeah. thing though is it gives you really good comps. I'm blown away. It gives you rental comps and sold comps, and you can choose which ones to show into the report. Pretty cool. I just got a couple more questions, Justin. Appreciate you being here. Um, what happens when things go bad? When the deal goes bad? You know, that uh, investor a year later, six months later, the rehab was more than they expected. The manager didn't work out. It might be the buyer's just really high maintenance. You know, there's a lot of buyers that are really high maintenance. What happens if the deal goes bad? You know, and, and that, it does happen sometimes. I mean, I, I try my best to, you know, be able to give them, you know, good referrals of, you know, people that, you know, I, I trust um, so that they're going to be taken care of. If something happens and they call me, you know, and it is six months or a year later, I try to do what I can to help them out. If there's anything that I can do, I will. And, but that being said, you know, it, it is, it's an investment. It's a risk. Just like if you buy a stock, there's no guarantee with that. The stock could, you know, drop by 50% the next day. So, you know, the, it's an investment. So, so there is obviously risk involved. But if there's any way that I can help, I will. And like I said, I try to put them in the best position possible to succeed by providing them, you know, with, with good referrals. Nice. Excellent. So I'm, I made a list of questions, really fancy, complicated <laughs> post-it note questions here. And this, I, I love this business. This is something that I started doing in 2012, you had already been doing it a couple of years at that point, but we're mutual friends with a guy named Rick Hine. I'd encourage you all to listen to, go find that podcast I did with Rick. Um, he was my acquisitions manager's part-time pastor working at Home Depot part-time. And I brought him on and we started doing a lot of seller marketing, got frustrated with the lack of leads. And then he th- we had some, we found some really good buyers. And I had a phone call with a good friend of mine, Kent Clothier. And Kent said, hey, you should try finding the buyers first. And I thought, oh, that's a revolutionary concept. And sure enough, I'm not kidding, within two to three months, we had to stop doing our seller marketing because we had so many good buyers. All we had to do is start spreading the word out. And Rick was really good at just calling every wholesaler he knew and sending emails every week. Hey, do you've got, do you have any deals? Do you have anything? And we would, we had people bringing us deals. We had realtors bringing us deals saying, Hey, listen, I don't even need anything. All right. Just take care of my client. We had other wholesalers that were new. Like, I don't care. Just give me 500 bucks, you know? And we had other people bringing us deals. It's the coolest thing in the world. Yeah, I love that. And then uh, I, I remember, you know, you talking about that before with Rick. And I'm like, man, I, I just absolutely love that strategy. And, you know, the money that you were spending in that seller advertising. So after you found these buyers, how much were you spending after that? You know, you're getting everybody to bring the deals to you and you weren't was, spending any any money in advertising. It, it was just time. It was an investment in time. And Rick is so good. He's And he's very accessible. He's And I'm sure you are too. When buyers are calling you, you don't hide you know, behind it's, you're not hard to get a hold of, you know, you're, you're easier to get a hold of. And in a sense, you're almost the boots on the ground for that buyer, although you're not the boots on the ground managing their project. Right. But they like you, they trust you and they know that, you know, if they have a problem, you they can call you and you, you can help them. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, I've, I, I tell them that too, you know, I'm like, hey, I'm not going to, you know, do the rehab. I'm not going to manage a rehab. I'm not going to be the property manager after the rehab's done. But that being said, you know, I obviously want you to be successful. If there's, you know, one thing I can do for you every once in a while where you need me to, you know, help out, then absolutely, you know, I, I can do that for you. Very cool. Uh, we have uh, a lot of people posting comments in here and I got a couple of questions for you, but Ralph says, cool. Aaron, what's up? How are you, man? 
We've got Antonio from Orlando, Ralph from Kentucky, Elmo from Florida. How you doing? And uh, Giselle, Giselle from New Jersey. Nice. Uh, Ralph is saying here, I got REI Simple. It rocks. It's awesome. Nice. Aaron says, yes, setting it up. And it's great. Jai is here. What's up, man? And uh, somebody else here, Giselle, is asking, how do you structure the partnerships? I think you kind of already answered that. But if you have another wholesaler who's bringing you a deal, do you sign an agreement with them or is it just the option agreement? Yeah, so... It, depending on the deal, so if I take a look at it, I'm like, hey, this these numbers already work. You know, I don't need to like negotiate it at all. Then I will send the option contract initially, just you know, so I have that equitable interest to to send it to my buyers. A lot of people, you know, won't, and you know, it's probably never going to be an issue. But I like having that equitable interest in the property, even though I'm not like blasting it out, sending it to a bunch of people. I'm sending it to you know one or two individual buyers i you know just make sure we get that signed real quick and then after that so i will then basically just give so if the other wholesalers asking say fifty thousand dollars for it i'll just send them a contract with my name as the buyer for fifty thousand dollars and then i will turn around and then you know sell it you know to to my buyer for sixty thousand so i'll sign another contract with them Uh, so with a double close, there's an A to B and B to C transaction. And I'm the B person in that transaction. So the A is the seller or other wholesaler, other investor. So they're selling to me as the A, then I'm buying it as the B, then I'm turning right around and then I'm selling it. So on the second transaction as the B, I'm the seller. And then my end buyer is the C person in that situation. And so I, you know, mark up the price, ten, fifteen thousand dollars, and then, you know, double close on it. So I go to the closing table and I sign the documents for buying and selling, you know, pretty much immediately. And your, so I, and your title company, have, do they do you do they require that you bring some transactional money to the table? Or they they will let you use your buyer's end money, the end funds to close the whole thing. Yeah, I, I typically don't. So I have I've got a couple. So some will allow me to use the end buyers funds to just fund the first transaction other ones they have their like an in-house transactional funder and it's way cheaper than if you're trying to find you know your own transactional funding can get very expensive not saying you know don't kill a deal over it you're you know making 10 grand and you've got to spend even $2,500 in, in transactional funding you should still do it but if you've got no other option but I have you know some companies where I mean they'll charge 200 bucks for the their in-house transactional funding so yeah i i never have to like find an outside transactional funder to yeah. get the deals where it works. awesome peter this is really good information nice one princess warrior new student here uh, giselle yes my house deals was the website yeah we talked about appreciate the kind words jai welcome warrior you're in good hands with Coach Joe. So somebody here is saying, Giselle, are you vetting the sellers yourself or is your wholesaler? So the wholesaler is getting them under contract. Yep. And uh, it's good to have a preferred vendor list. I agree. Warren, we answered his question. Thank you. Uh, Aaron is asking, can you double close with your wholesaler and JV partner on the same contract? Yes. And Rebecca is correct. Transparency is key here, right? Very important. Very, very important. And Rebecca says, again, everyone does it different to get the deal done. Uh, Giselle brings a good comment here. You can still wholesale as an agent. The fee will be reported on a separate line on the HUD. And then Giselle also says, sometimes as an agent, you will want it to be a fee versus a commission because of the split with the broker. That's a, that's a good point because you will have to split uh, commissions with the broker. Yes. 
Uh, somebody's asking, is that tool dealcheck.io better than Bigger Pockets? Bigger Pockets has a reporting tool. Yes. I mean, less Bigger Pockets in the last couple of years has really made some big improvements. Go check out dealcheck.io. I don't get anything from them again, but it's a pretty good tool. Oh, look at this. Do you teach this like a course? I came on a few minutes late, so my apologies if you already mentioned it. Great question. Justin, how can people get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more about this? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so especially for any of Joe's listeners, I'm actually offering just a free five-day course. Uh, oh, so you guys get a lot of information here. And so if you just go to course.buyerfirstwholesaling.com, you can go ahead and you can sign up and you'll get a free, 100% free five-day course I mean, on, on how to do this. Is but that it right yeah, there? Yeah, I, mean, I uh, think disappeared for a second, but I think... Uh, uh, there, is that it? Yeah. Uh, first is uh, misspelled. But other than that, yeah, course.buyerfirstwholesaling.com. Oh, so this is an interesting domain. Oh, wait, where'd it go? There it is. Course.buyerfirstwholesaling.com. Is it? Yep, that is correct. So yeah, you can go there. Anybody who's listening, you can get a free five-day course on exactly what I'm talking about. I kind of go over a little bit of, of my background. So before finding this strategy, uh, I, I had some fix and flip deals that went south. And I mean, it almost bankrupt me. It was, it was really bad. And so the only way I survived is literally by taking out uh, very high interest credit card debt. So um, you get to hear about, you know, all the successes and failures that have kind of got me to this point and to, you know, creating the system that I have. So go check that out if you want uh, some more information. Good. All right. I appreciate that. Again, course.buyerfirstwholesaling.com. It's a free five-day course on everything that Justin's talking about here. Glad to finally get you on the show, Justin. Really yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for having me. We'll have to, uh, you know, get together after when we're, we're able to. <laughs> I'm looking here. Um, Giselle, sweet. Oh, and thank you. Yeah. By the way, guys, if you're watching this on YouTube or Facebook, please type in the comments that URL so other people can see it course.buyerfirstwholesaling.com. Thank you, Giselle. You're welcome. One princess warrior. You're welcome. We appreciate you all as well. Again, all right. Hey, thanks, Justin. We will see you later. Take care, man. All right. Thank you, Joe. Goodbye, everybody. Have a good one.